One of my best friends is a guy by the name of Joe Rosser. I met Joe in the seventh grade, so about 21 years ago. We wrestled together in middle school, played in a band together, not marching band, but more of a rock band. We worked at a snow cone stand together in the summer, hung out on the weekends, and I think we may have even dated the same girl a time or two. Obviously, not at the same time. Joe was the best man in my wedding, and to this day is someone I can hang out with, and it's like no time has passed. Do you have someone like this in your life? Like all great friendships, Joe and I were true friends from the moment we met. Well, that part of the story isn't true, and that's typically not how friendships start. You're rarely best friends with another person from the moment you meet. True friendships don't just happen overnight. They require cultivation. That's intentionality, hard work, and time. We can think of cultivating or growing friendships like cultivating the ground. I've shared how one of my wife's passions is gardening. She started gardening back in 2015 when we were living in Oklahoma City. Now, after living in Wisconsin for about three and a half years, she's learned that gardening in Oklahoma is not the same as gardening in Wisconsin. For example, in Oklahoma, you can start planting lettuce, onion, and carrot between mid-February and mid-March, so pretty early on in the year. Here in Wisconsin, you can't start planting these things until after the last frost, which is typically sometime in May. In Oklahoma, heat-loving plants like peppers, tomatillos, and tomatoes are what grow best. But here in Wisconsin, most things grow pretty well. There's just a shorter growing season. In Oklahoma, you have to water your plants constantly because of the heat and how dry it can get. In Wisconsin, you might spend more time making sure your plants have the right amount of sunlight. So watering is definitely important, but it takes a back seat to sunlight. Also, we tend to get a lot of bunnies. I think the kids love this, but if you plant a garden, you hate it. As you learn to cultivate and care for your garden, you gain more wisdom along the way. Well, similar to gardening, without the right kind of cultivation and care, our friendships will wither. Today, we're going to continue our series, Iron Sharpens Iron. We're going to do so by talking about how we can grow our friendships. Growing true friendships takes godly wisdom. It takes intentionality, hard work, time, and because we live in a fallen world, because you and I are sinners by nature and by choice, sometimes it requires weeding out the bad parts. So how can we grow our friendships God's way? Well, it's true that friendships often start without a whole lot of effort, but that's not how they endure. I could start running a marathon today, but there's a 100% chance that I wouldn't finish the race. And that's because I haven't put in the work that's required to run over 26 miles. It would be a terrible sight to witness. (laughs) In his book, Made for Friendship, Drew Hunter wrote, For two people to be true friends, it takes work and sacrifice. So our relationships thrive when we're intentional about how we cultivate and care for them. Let's talk about four biblical action steps that will help us grow our friendships God's way. These action steps are in no particular order. Action step number one is this. Prioritize talking face to face. It's a fact that our friendships flourish when we're able to spend time together having one-on-one face-to-face conversations. And one of the great joys in life is having the ability to experience unrushed conversation with true friends. Thomas Goodwin, the 17th century English theologian and preacher, put it this way. 
Mutual communication is the soul of all true friendships. And familiar conversation with a friend is the greatest sweetness in it. Why is it so important to prioritize talking face-to-face? You know, we live in the 21st century, not the 17th century. And we have access to things like smartphones and computers. So why is it so important to talk face-to-face? Well, when we send text messages, we often hold back from sharing what's really going on in our lives. It's hard to deepen a friendship through text. Phone calls are good. I actually prefer phone calls over text, but we don't have the opportunity to experience the other person's facial expressions or their body language. You know, FaceTime is really helpful, especially if you have friends or relatives that live far away. And letters are a great way to communicate when you want to process what you'd like to say before you say it, but nothing can take the place of talking face to face. When the Apostle John wrote to his friends, he wished that he didn't have to. I love this verse in 2 John chapter 1, verse 12. He writes, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. For I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. And how appropriate is that? You know, most commentators agree that John was writing to a local church, not a single person or a family. John likely had many close friends in this particular church. He wrote letters to them since that was the only other form of communication. But he longed to be with them so that he could look them in the eyes, so that he could talk face to face. Messages, letters, and phone calls, they certainly have their place in helping us stay in touch with our loved ones and friends. They have their place when it comes to connecting, but nothing replaces the value of talking face-to-face. So how can we grow our friendships by prioritizing talking face-to-face? Here's a few practical ideas. One, think about what you're going to talk about um, as you're on your way to spend time with your friends. So be intentional about sharing life instead of surface-level updates. Also, decide ahead of time that you're going to find ways to encourage them. We're going to talk more about that later on in the message. Another way, schedule a regular meeting time. Remember from last week, busyness is often a barrier to our friendships. If you schedule a regular meeting time, whether it's monthly or every other week, you're prioritizing that face-to-face conversation and you're prioritizing friendship. Another way is talk about spiritual things. Ask what your friend is reading in the Bible or read a book together and then discuss what you're learning. Ask how they're growing in their faith. And if there's an area of struggle in their life, that you can pray about together. Now, this might feel awkward at first, but over time, it'll lose its awkwardness. It's so important to talk about spiritual things and to encourage each other in your faith. Our key verse for this series, Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Another way that you can grow your friendships by talking face-to-face is to let your true friends know that they can correct you when you need correction. You know, having accountability in our friendships is key. If you have no one holding you accountable in your faith or in your marriage, you're essentially trying to face life alone. Now, when your friends do correct you, you also have to receive that correction well. Just because someone corrects you, that doesn't mean they're judging you. It often means that they love you and they want what's best for you. When you prioritize talking face-to-face, you're cultivating and caring for your friendships in a great way. 
Another way that you can be proactive about growing your friendships God's way, this is action step number two, prioritize shared experiences. It's also no secret that our friendships thrive when we have shared experiences. I like to call this doing life together. Towards the end of his life, John Stott, he was the English theologian, author, and pastor. He was asked this question, when do you feel most alive? I think that's an important question. I'm curious, how would you answer that question? When do you feel most alive? Well, here are three things that made John feel most alive. One was public worship. So he loved to gather with his church family and to worship with them. The second thing that made him feel alive was enjoying nature. He loved to spend time outside. And then the third thing was human friendships. These were his true friends. John went on to say, I'm grateful to have many friends and very grateful to have the opportunity to enjoy their friendship and to do things with them. So these were three great answers to a very important question. I like how simple his response was when he talked about his friendships. He said, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to do things with them. A large part of growing our friendships includes doing things together. It's doing life together. It's about prioritizing shared experiences. Prioritizing shared experiences requires being together. There's no better example of what this can look like than the relationship that Jesus had with his own disciples. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, the Pharisees and the religious leaders called Jesus a friend of sinners. That's because he spent time with tax collectors and sinners. But I would argue that his true friends were those who followed him from place to place, learning from him to live like him. Peter, James, and John We're in Jesus's inner circle. He spent the most amount of time with these men, giving them a front row seat to his life and ministry, training them to be disciples who could make more disciples. Regardless of what they did together, there always seemed to be certain things that were present in their friendships. Jesus genuinely loved them. He enjoyed their company. He laughed with them, prayed with them. He sang with them, cried with them, and he encouraged them. Jesus was always consistent. He never gave up on them or let them down. He never deserted them. And he made the hard times easier and the easy times better. Proverbs 17 verse 17 says that a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Well, Jesus was also always honest with his friends. When they needed correction, he wasn't afraid to speak the truth in love. When they occasionally got some things right, he celebrated the wins with them. When they needed encouragement, he was the ultimate encourager. Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6 says that an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So Jesus was always honest with his friends. When they needed correction, he spoke the truth in love. Well, Jesus also showed empathy towards his friends. You know, he wept when they wept. He rejoiced when they rejoiced. In John chapter 11, Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus had died. He also knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. So he could have just showed up, raised him from the dead, and then watched the tears of his family and friends turn to joy. But that's not what he did. Instead, he saw people who were hurting, and he hurt with them. John chapter 11, verse 35 says that Jesus wept. He had empathy towards those who were hurting. 
Jesus also built trust with his friends. You know, he kept confidences and he never gossiped about other people. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. This is a verse that we read last week, but I think it's important to hear it again. It says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. So regardless of what they were doing, whatever the shared experience was, Jesus modeled true friendship. He loved his friends. He was consistent. He was honest. He showed empathy and he built trust with them. When we prioritize shared experiences, when we do things together, it provides an opportunity to grow our friendships because we can put into practice the things that really matter. We can demonstrate love. We can work on consistency. We can share our life honestly. We can show empathy and we can build trust. Here's some practical ways that you can prioritize shared experiences. One is if you're going to watch a movie or sports, invite a friend to join you. You know, the Super Bowl is coming up this weekend. Uh, Think about watching that with a friend or think about saving certain shows or movies for a special friend. Another idea, with the next book you plan to read, invite one or more people to read it with you. Uh, Consider meeting once a month to talk about what you're reading. Another idea, if you're a stay-at-home mom or a homeschool family, invite another family to go with you to the park, take a day trip, or occasionally do group learning together. And that's a great way to grow our friendships. Another idea, ask a friend to help you with a home improvement project. You know, personally, I am terrible at fixing things. I always need help. So that's a great way to spend time with other people. You could also start an annual tradition with friends. So fishing, shopping, hiking, going to a concert. I mean, the list goes on. Annual traditions are a great way to prioritize shared experiences. And those shared experiences will help grow your friendships. Action step number three, if you're taking notes, this is my favorite one. Bring food into the relationship. Our friendships thrive when we eat together. Drew Hunter wrote that throughout history and the world, wherever we find strong community, we also find shared meals at the center of it. So one of the main reasons that food exists, I believe, is to enrich friendships. We see this throughout God's word in the Old Testament and in the New In the Old Testament, God's people would eat together whenever they made a covenant or a promise. After the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, their leaders climbed Mount Sinai. And this is what we read, Exodus chapter 24, verse 11. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Once God's people were allowed to enter the promised land, They were commanded to celebrate what God had done and to do it over a shared meal. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 18 says, You must eat these in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Eat them there with your children, your servants, and the Levites who live in your towns, celebrating in the presence of the Lord your God in all you do. In the New Testament, Jesus' first public miracle was at a wedding feast in Cana, where people ate and drank together for several days. Sometimes these wedding feasts would last up to a week. And we read about this in John chapter 2. Jesus was called a friend of sinners and tax collectors because he ate with them. He spent time with them. We see that in Matthew 11. On the night before Jesus died, he left his disciples with a meal of remembrance. 
We read about this in Luke 22. And when Jesus returns, the Bible tells us that all of God's people, the bride of Christ, the church, will celebrate and worship with him at the ultimate wedding feast. We read about this in Revelation chapter 19. So what's with all the food and the sharing of meals throughout Scripture? I believe that it has to do with relationship. It has to do with friendship. Food has a way of changing things. It's celebratory. It acts as a buffer to conversation, and it fosters unity. When I was a youth minister, we would have the youth group over to our house almost every Sunday evening during the school year. We would play games together. Uh, We would have a short Bible study, and we would eat food. Food was always present because it helps bring people together. Instead of rushing through the evening, we were able to enjoy each other's company by sharing a meal. Did you know that if you eat three meals a day, seven days a week, you're eating an average of 21 meals every single week? What would your friendships look like if you shared one of those meals with a friend or a group of friends? I'm positive that it would help grow your friendships. So here's some practical ways that you can bring food into the relationship. One idea, pick one breakfast slot each week and invite a different friend to join you each time. So consider rotating through three or four friends so that you get equal time with all of them. You know, after service on Sunday, you could invite a friend or a family out to lunch, or you can have someone over to your house. Talk about what convicted you or encouraged you from the sermon that day. Pray together and share about what's going on in your life. You can also prioritize a date night with your spouse, uh, who should be your very best friend. And now this is a lot easier said than done, especially if you have young kids at home. But intentional time with your spouse, your best friend, is priceless. Another idea, if you have younger kids, invite another couple over after they go to bed. Pull out a board game and then make some snacks. Also, if you're part of a growth group or a Sunday school class here at OCC, find ways to bring food into the equation. It'll change the whole dynamic of the group. So bringing food into the equation, bringing food into the relationship, that's a great way to grow your friendships. Action step number four, this is the final one for today prioritize being an encourager. If you've ever hiked or skied at a high altitude, you know that it gets harder to breathe the higher you go. When the air starts to thin out, even the smallest amount of effort can take a whole lot of energy out of you. That's how our friendships can feel when there's a lack of encouragement. When you prioritize being an encourager, it's like thickening the air with oxygen. Encouragement is like the oxygen for our friendships. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Romans chapter 15, verse 2 says that we should help others do what is right, and that we should build them up in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I think this is an important verse to mention. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when the atmosphere is thick with encouragement, friendships thrive. But when it's thin or when it's thick with criticism, they wither. Most people think of the Apostle Paul as an evangelist, a theologian, and a church planter, and he certainly was, 
But Paul was also a man who knew true friendships, a friendship with God and with others. If you look closely, it's easy to see that Paul filled the atmosphere with encouragement and affirmation. At the end of his letters, he would often leave a few words of encouragement for others. For example, at the end of Romans, Paul greets 28 people by name. He mentions Phoebe, who was a godly woman who served as a deacon in the church in Sincrea. He mentions her as someone who was worthy of honor because she had spent her life helping others. He mentions Priscilla and Aquila, who were Paul's co-workers in ministry. He mentions them as two people who once risked their lives for him. He mentions a man by the name of Ampliatus. Uh, Paul referred to him as a dear friend. So he goes on to greet 28 people by name, using the opportunity to encourage and affirm them as friends, co-workers in Christ, and fellow believers. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So finding ways to encourage your friends It isn't always natural or easy, especially for the men. It can feel awkward if it's not something that you do on a regular basis. But after a while, once you see how it grows your friendships, it won't feel that awkward anymore. And while talking face-to-face is best, I think a written note is a great way to encourage your friends, especially if this is outside of your comfort zone. I've received so many notes over the years from friends and church members, notes that I keep for a long time because they encourage me. Never underestimate the value of encouragement. Here are some practical ways that you can prioritize being an encourager. One way, whenever the thought crosses your mind to encourage a friend, just do it. And do it without hesitation. You never pass up the opportunity to bless a friend with an encouraging word. Also, before you say goodbye, find a way to share one thing that you appreciate about your friend and share it with them. Another idea is that when you mention someone's name in a conversation, take the opportunity to speak well of them instead of gossiping about them. You can also tell your kids or your grandkids about a friend whom you admire. This kind of conversation can teach them about the value of friendship, and it can help instill faith in the next generation. So four action steps that you can take to cultivate or grow your friendships. Prioritize talking face-to-face. Prioritize shared experiences, so do life together. Bring food into the relationship and prioritize being an encourager. We can think of cultivating or growing our friendships like cultivating the ground. True friendships aren't formed overnight. They take godly wisdom, intentionality, hard work, and time. Our relationships thrive when we're intentional about how we cultivate and care for them.